this morning. I'm excited to be with you and continue on this path of discovering together what faith looks like. I want you to look at this photo up here. You know what those people are doing right there? They're playing a family game. One of them's going to win. The other three are going to lose. They're going to be losers. You know what the game is? It's the game of life. I, I grew up in a family that loved to play games. I don't know if you did, but that was me. And our family these days continues. Our little kids especially love games. Nate, who's now eight, year old, eight years old, loves games. A few years back, Grandma gave us the game of life for Christmas. Uh, one evening, Michelle and I went out on a date, and Nathaniel convinced the babysitter to play him in the game of life. Uh, I found out the next morning that the babysitter won. Uh, I wish I'd known this before I tipped the babysitter. <laughs> Nathaniel reported to me, uh, and he was quite sad to say so, that he'd lost. And so I asked him, at breakfast there, I said, Nate, how do you win at life? And he said very simply, whoever has the most money when the game ends wins. So I, I took it forward. I said, is that right? The point of life is to get the most money. Now, I was thinking about more than just the game. He narrowed his eyes and he thought for a second and he said, well, money and Early retirement is a factor as well. <laughs> Listen, without thinking of it, many of us, most of us, will begin to live our real lives as if we're playing this board game. And of course, there's nothing wrong at all with earning a lot of money or retiring early. But I think that most all of us know deep down inside that life is actually about more than that. Even those who are very successful at earning a lot and are able to retire early. Deep down, I think every person knows that life is about more than that. The question that I want to set before us this morning is very simply, what is life about? What is the purpose of the one and only life that each one of us has been given? What's life for? What I hope to show you very simply is that that question, the question about the purpose of life, is actually a question about faith, where faith is hearing God, trusting Him, and stepping out in faith. And the reason it's a question for faith is very simply that God Himself has created every man and every woman for a reason, to have a purpose in life, to have a purpose in life which is grand and good which is, and this is what I want to show you this morning, which is for something good in the world that is uniquely their task to carry forward. The way I'm going to show you this is by going simply to the Bible. I want to take you uh, first to one place where this idea is, is presented directly, and then after that, I want to show you what it looks like in real life. And before we do, I want to say a word about the Bible, an aside, because not everyone's in the same place when it comes to this book. Christians believe that the Bible offers unique answers to the big questions of life. That if a person wants to have a picture of what life is all about, what is life for, that there's no place that they can go which would give better information than the Bible. 
And I understand that not everybody's in the same place there, but I want my cards to be on the table before I begin. This is my perspective, that this book can give uh, unique answers to the most important questions. And what I hope for for you this morning is that wherever you are, uh, with regard to the question of your own life's purpose, that you would, in this time, be able to set it there and look at it. To ask the question of your own life, what is the purpose of my life and what am I giving myself for? What will be a win for me in my game? Not in competition with others, but how will I live this one life I have so that at the end I look back and I say I did it. The place where we're going to look first is a a letter that was written by a man named Paul and the letter is called Ephesians. This is a very small letter toward the end of the New Testament. Paul was a man who wrote a letter to a group of people who had gathered together who wanted to learn and grow in faith. They wanted to understand God's perspective on questions like, what is life for? In the letter that uh, this one sentence comes from, which we'll look at in a moment, in this letter, he was addressing a group of people that was varied. Lots of different kind of people gathered together. And there in the community at Ephesus, and that was the place to which this letter was addressed, there were many whose lives had been changed by encountering Jesus. Uh, Paul himself, the man who wrote this, was a man who had one vision of what life's purpose was, and when he met Jesus, well, his vision for what life was about changed. And writing to this group, among many things which he addressed, One subject that was in his mind was what life is all about. And so I want you to look up here for uh, a few minutes. We're going to consider first one sentence that he wrote in the book of Ephesians. And this is in the second chapter, and it's just one verse, verse 10. And in it, he addresses life's purpose. Look up there with me. Here's what he writes. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In this one sentence, Paul makes three remarkable statements, all of which offer a clear and broad answer to the question of life's purpose. I want to take them one at a time with you. The first clause is a statement about identity. Look at it. We are God's handiwork. The Greek word which is translated handiwork there is a noun, and it's the noun poema. The word bears the connotation of a work of art, a unique piece crafted by a master artisan, a work of poetic intentionality. Here, Paul is telling those that he wrote to that we are the handcrafted work of God. Each one of us, individually, are what God has made us. Behind what makes you, uniquely you, is God's artistic vision. That's the first statement. God made you on purpose. Now look at the second clause. This tells us why we have been made. It's a statement about the purpose of our lives. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The reason that God has made each one of them and each one of us is so that we would do good works. If we ask, 
What is my life for? What does success in my life look like? If I'm thinking of my life as a game and I ask, how would I win? The answer here is by doing the good works for which God himself made me. Your life is for good works. Success is finding and doing that which the creator had made you for. Your purpose is to do God's good works. This is the meaning of this second clause. Now here, here I want to pause for an aside and issue a very important warning. Because the subject of good works is a subject that can be quite dangerous. Uh, Many people make the mistake here of believing that good works are those things which I must do in order for God to accept me. Uh, Maybe some of you have come in with that in mind or you know people who think like that. I've heard stories as a pastor of people who on their deathbed express grief and anxiety because they wonder if they've done enough good for God to accept them. And this is a person who's come to believe that good works are the things that I do so God welcomes me into heaven when I die. Listen, nothing could be further from what the man who wrote this letter believes, Paul. In fact, Christianity is unique among religions in that this way of thinking about God and us is as far from what could be true as possible. Uh, If you would, and I'll ask you to do this, if you would take time and read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 9 carefully on your own this week, you'll see that instead of good works being those things which save us, the very opposite is true. What saves us is despite all of the bad works that have characterized our lives, what saves us is the grace of God who because of the love with which he loved the world, he chose to give his son Christ so that by his love we could be saved and rescued from ourselves. By grace we're saved through faith. Some of you will have heard that before. Am I right? What's so powerful to me about those words that we've been saved by grace through faith is it rescues me from feeling anxious about all the good that I must do to make God accept me. And it tells me, no, you are accepted by God because of his love. And right after Paul says that, right after he says those words, he goes on to tell us not that we must do good works to be saved, but that we have been saved to do good works. Do you see the difference? This is Paul's way of saying God himself has rescued you so that the purpose of your life will be to do good works. Not that you must do them so that God will love you, but God has loved you. Now, find the purpose of your life in good works. That's the meaning of this second clause. That's why he says here, in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus. Now, a very practical question upon hearing that, the purpose of my life is to do good works, is what works am I to do? And here's the third clause. Which good works? This third clause addresses that question by saying the good works which which are the purpose of our lives are those which God prepared in advance for us to do. In advance, before any one of us yet existed, think of this, God had in his mind some good work to be done, and for the doing of that good work, he handcrafted artistic beings. He made you for the good works which were in his mind beforehand. First came the good works, 
Then came the crafting of the unique person to be the one whose life purpose would be to do that good work. That is what life is for. The purpose of our life is to do the good works which were in God's mind. Do we have any visual learners here? Here, try to imagine this. Picture God, the sovereign creator of everything that exists, looking down upon the world which he has made and recognizing that there are some problems there, that there's trouble here and there. And then imagine God taking careful note of the work which, if done, would set things right. Okay, here's an enemy who needs to be opposed. There's some work to do. Here are some people trapped in the dark. There needs to be some light. Uh, here's someone who's climbed all the way up to the top of a tree. There needs to be some rescuing. Here's a large group of people who are oppressed. There needs to be some freedom. And now, as God notes those those works which need to be done, now picture God stepping back and handcrafting individual people who, whose lives will be about addressing each one of those problems. Uh, imagine God creating this person to be the one who opposes that enemy who's uniquely gifted for that task. And then God making another person who's just right for bringing light into the darkness. Uh, someone who's going to be perfectly equipped to climb and rescue, and then another who will go and free those who are trapped. This image of what God is like and what we are like is the vision that the Scriptures set before anyone who says, what is life all about? What's the purpose of my life? Here's a picture that says the purpose of your life is to be who God made you to be, which is the man or the woman who finds her identity in discovering the, the good work for which God himself has made you. And faith, faith is that dynamic movement of hearing God and listening to, to God as he calls you forward into this good task that he has for you. And then trusting him and living on purpose in that way. So what does it look like? Uh, what does it look like when, when someone actually finds this path? And then when they begin to walk in faith, how does that actually happen? I'm so glad that you asked. I thank you for pretending that I wasn't the one, but you were. What we'll, the way we'll get a, an answer for this question is just by going to one scene in one man's life in the Bible. Uh, and it's a man named Moses. And I'll tell you now that he's not the only one whose life presents a vivid image of what Paul teaches here. It's all throughout the scriptures. Again and again, we see men and women who find their true life in hearing God's call and moving forward in his purpose. And as, I, as we look together at Moses' story briefly, and we could look at it for a long time, we'll be brief, I want you to be asking as you see his story, asking God, what's, what's it for me? And what, what purpose might you give to me? Here's Moses' story. Let me set the background, and then we'll get into it. Okay? Uh, if you've been here for the, the first three weeks, we've talked about Abraham, who, who heard God call him to get up and go, and Abraham did. And then one of Abraham's descendants was a man named Joseph. Joseph, again and again, faced all kinds of resistance, but trusted God and, and did good work. Joseph ended up in the land of Egypt. And there he had a great deal of power, now, when Joseph died, 
time rolled along and the descendants of Abraham and Joseph, well, they became very numerous in the land of Egypt. And at some point, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who used to know Joseph, he died and a new Pharaoh came into power and he knew nothing about Joseph or all of these people that descended from Abraham. And he, he created an atmosphere for those people that was downright oppressive. They became the slaves of the Egyptians. Uh, they, they, they were given the name the Hebrews. And you may know this. They were responsible for things like building the pyramids. One of them, Moses, he had a unique story. Okay, what, I wanna, what I want you to see right now is he, he hated how oppressed his people were. There's a story in the beginning of the book of Exodus where this man, Moses, sees an Egyptian slave master harshly treating one of the Hebrews. He's so angry, he kills the guy. He digs a hole in the sand and he buries the body. There's no hole deep enough to bury a deed like that. And so Pharaoh finds out what happens and thinking that he might get killed, Moses decides to flee Egypt and he runs away and he goes and he lives in the wilderness where he becomes a shepherd. And the scene in which we'll see God himself coming to this man Moses, showing him his life's purpose, happens there in the wilderness. Moses is tending sheep right beside a mountain. Now, later on, it will be called the mountain of God. And there he is taking care of his sheep. Listen, this is a guy at work. It's an ordinary guy doing his job. And there, as he's at work, an extraordinary sight. A bush over there is on fire. And so he comes closer to see what's happening. And as he approaches, he's astounded to find that even though it's engulfed in flames, it's not consumed. And then it gets even stranger. Out of the flames, he hears the voice of God saying his name, Moses, Moses. And he knows God himself is speaking to me out of this bush. Now, I know there's a skeptic or two here who are now saying, time for me to turn my ears off. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. If that's you, I have some very close friends who think like that. If that's you, would you set that aside for a moment? And we can come back another day to whether God could speak like that and how it would work. But what I want you to see with me is what God says to him out of the bush. Because what it shows is this truth that we are God's handiwork created for good works which God had in mind beforehand. What God says to Moses from the bush is, I've heard the cries of the people in Egypt. Their pain and suffering has come to my ears and I've heard it and I care about it. Listen, God knows when people are suffering. He cares intensely. And he says that to Moses. That is, there is some trouble in the world down there which God has seen and now God knows there's some work to be done. Do you see it? And what he says to Moses is, I'm going to free them. I'm going to come and take those people who are oppressed and broken and hurt and trapped, and I'm going to break their chains and liberate them. This is what God is like. This is not just God in one scene, but God's character is to come into every life where there is oppression and come break the chains that hold people back. And maybe some of you know what that's like spiritually, to be freed. And he tells Moses, I'm going to do that. And then, and then, Moses is picturing Pharaoh who wants to kill him and the might of Pharaoh's armies and he's hearing God say, I'm going to liberate those people and I want you to look at what God says to Moses in verse 10 of chapter 2. Look at the words that come next. After telling him he's going to free the people, God says, verse 10, So, come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. 
God tells this shepherd that he is the one who is going to free those people, that God is going to send him to do that. That this, this problem in the world, which is massive, which is an enormous problem, has been seen by God, and God's strategy for addressing it is to select this one man who is God's handiwork, who's been created just for this, and then to send him to the place where he himself will be the one whose life purpose becomes carrying out this good work, freeing those people. This is a particular picture of a general idea that is in the passage that we read from Ephesians and that is all throughout Scripture. The general idea being that the way God brings about good things in the world is by inviting in faith his handcrafted individual people to be the ones whose lives become about the good work that he wants them to do. This is not just a picture about Moses back then. It has the potential to be a picture of you right now. Now, I know someone is thinking, if, look, if I'm outside this afternoon cutting the lawn and one of the bushes catches on fire and God starts talking to me, all right, then I'll be ready to hear from God. I've never seen a bush on fire and heard God. Okay, fine. When was the last time you went out looking for a burning bush and listening for the voice of God? That might seem like a really strange question. You're like, okay, where's this going? When was the last time that you sat down and and set aside an hour and and prayed, just talked to God and said something like, God, if, if you are real, if you are there, can you help me have a sense of what the purpose of my life might be? And then not just go on what your imagination might come up with next, but maybe open up the Bible. Uh, Those of you who believe already, this is an invitation for you to come again to the Scripture and start asking God, show me what the purpose of my life is. It, it, It happens for those of us who are followers of Christ that over and over again as life moves along, we have new assignments from God. But if you've never done it, I'll tell you what. Here's my assignment. Go to Romans chapter 12. That's one place where the subject of life's purpose is particularly clearly written. And do that. I'm asking you. Go to Romans 12 this week. Set aside an hour and start by saying, God, speak to me here like you did to Moses out of the bush. Can you help me get some grasp of what my purpose might be like? If you do that, you'll come across a beautiful list of the kinds of things that God gifts people to do uniquely in the world. In Romans 12, you'll read about uh, unique knowledge that God gives to some people to see what's coming down the road. Uh, You'll read about ministry, which in Greek just means service, that that's a gift that God gives to people. The purpose of some people's lives is to serve. You'll read about teaching, exhorting, that means encouraging people with your words. You'll read about giving, that that is actually the purpose that God has for some, to be generous and give. You read about leading, about compassion. You read about love, about mutual encouragement. It's remarkable. Spend time in Romans 12 this week and see if God doesn't say something to you that is as distinct as what God said to Moses. This is how God works. God gives us tasks to do, and those are the purpose of our lives. Now, come back with me uh, to the scene with Moses. God tells him, you're going to do this thing. Uh, Now, Moses is a real person. And if any real person heard what Moses heard, you know what would happen inside of them? I mean, a sane person, that is. You'd be afraid, right? 
Pharaoh is the most powerful person in the world. And he has this wonderful workforce for which he doesn't have to pay anything. And now God's saying to this man, Moses, you're going to go in and you're going to take away all of his means of cheap production. Oh, he'll be fine with that, right? No. So Moses does what any one of us will do. Listen now. What any one of us will do if we start to hear God say, here is the purpose for your life and the thing which God invites us into is scary. Okay? Look at how Moses responds in verse 11. After God's telling him, you're going to be the one through whom I free them, verse 11 reads like this. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You see, what he's done is he's picturing, on the one hand, Pharaoh and the Israelites who are in Egypt and all that it would take to get them out of that place, he's seeing that on one hand, and then on the other hand, he's seeing himself. And what he sees is a man who can't possibly do this, a man who has no way of making this happen. And so he responds to God with that simple question, who am I? And the reason he asks that is when he imagines trying to accomplish this task, he is afraid. Because if he looks at himself, he says, I don't have what it takes. And we're absolutely sure this is what Moses feels here and on into the story. Because if you read, and I'll invite you to do this as well, to continue reading this story, you'll see that over and over again, the fear that Moses has at thinking that he can do this thing for God emerges in the questions he asks God. Uh, he says, for instance, he says to God, okay, uh, what if I go back and I tell the people that you sent me and they ask me what your name is? What will I say? He's anticipating questions that he can't answer and that makes him afraid. Uh, God gives him an answer. He says, here's what you're going to say. And Moses is still afraid. And so he says, well, uh, what if I answer that but they don't believe that you're the one who sent me? Uh, you see what he's imagining now? He's imagining skepticism that he can't combat. And so again, he's afraid and he resists. God tells him, trust me, I'll make sure that they believe you. I'll give you everything you need to be 100% believable. Moses still is afraid and he says, well, I, I, you know, when I look at myself, the truth is I don't speak very well. How could I possibly do that? My tongue doesn't work. God says, I made your tongue. I'll make it work. Trust me, everything's going to be fine. Then finally Moses says, you know, he looks at himself, you got the wrong guy, send somebody else. All of that resistance, all of that resistance is quite natural. It's even natural for a person who God speaks to out of a burning bush. And so if you take this challenge of reading Romans 12 this week and you say, maybe, maybe the purpose that God is inviting me to, it's not as big as liberating an entire group of people. Maybe God's saying to me, the purpose of your life is to love your family in this season more than you have. That's a genuine purpose. And you think, I can't do it. I have a bad temper. Or maybe God will say in that moment to you, here, I'm giving you this purpose. Step out and trust me and go to the project at Renaissance Church. And the purpose I have for you is to begin exploring faith more than you have. And you think, I'm afraid. I don't know what it will be like and who those people will be. Or if God's purpose for you is, is a little further on, maybe God is going to say to you this week, I'm, I'm calling you to find your life's purpose in working with young people in this season of your life. 
to work with children uh, at Renaissance uh, Children's Ministry Program or with the students in the middle school or the high school program. That's what I'm calling you to do. Or whatever it is. Maybe God is even calling you in this season to say, I will be a person whose purpose is to be abundantly generous for God's work in the world. Or I'll apply myself in a way I never have to invest in leading in the community that I'm a part of. All of these things might be what God invites you to. When that happens, there will be a part of you that will naturally, like Moses, say, well, who am I? And maybe be afraid. And I'll tell you, the world will not change very much as people who are hearing from God let their fear determine what they choose to do. And I'm going to tell you this. I don't think the fear went away for Moses. I don't think he finally got about doing the good things that God wanted him to do when he was no longer afraid. That's not what courage that steps forward in faith actually looks like. What it looks like is saying, I trust and I've heard and I'm going to move forward even as I am a bit afraid, which is exactly what Moses does. But God's response to him as he says, who am I, is perfect. And it's the last lesson that I want you to see from this story, which I'm asking you, I am, I'm as the lead pastor at this church, I'm asking you to take these lessons and ask God, what's the purpose that you have for my life? And I want the whole church, Renaissance, to do that too. And see what happens. In every way that we're hesitant or afraid, we may say, who am I? Watch God's response in verse 12 to Moses after he says, who am I? This is so magnificent. This is verse 12. He said, this is God said to him, look at this. I will be with you. We're gonna get this up there in a second. There it is. God said, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When? you have brought the people out of Egypt. Did you notice the word there is when and not if? When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall, not maybe you will, you shall worship God on this mountain. When and you shall means that the thing that God is inviting Moses to follow as his purpose will in fact happen, and the reason it will happen is there at the very first thing that God says to him, which is that I will be with you. This, my friends, is a beautiful fact that also is all throughout the scripture, and it is this, that as a man or a woman comes and listens to God, discovering the unique purpose for which God has created her or created him, and then begins in trust to step forward in faith, even with fear, the promise is that at every step, they will never walk by themselves, but instead God himself will be with them one step after another as they move forward into God's good purposes for them. Whatever it is that you hear God calling you to, whatever purpose it is that he's setting before you, this is trustworthy. You can walk forward in faith knowing that God himself will accompany you at every step. And now here, I want you to do two things. I want you to imagine now your own self with God there looking down at the trouble in the world and then ask him, what have you created me for? (laughs) Over and over in my own life, I've begun to discover those unique things for which God has made me for. Do you know that before I came to Renaissance Church, I started asking that question in earnest, and I asked it for a year. That's a long time. 
And in that process, I was completely confident that God was saying, Christian, I've made you in this season of your life to go and move to Summit, New Jersey and see what I can do with you there at that church that meets in that opera house. I like that it met in an opera house. I like that. That was like a bonus. And the, honestly, and the mints on the desk when we come in here, love them. Right? And the downtown, that's good. And, and it's true that when God begins to unfold for you your purpose, that there'll be joy in that. That it won't just be a drudgingly difficult thing. No, anyone who's found the purpose for which God has created them begins to know that even if it is hard work, and can I tell you that I know that being the lead pastor here will be work. I know that. Oh, but when we find God's path for us, it's good. And very few of you who listen will be called to be lead pastors of churches, although maybe someone here will be someday. But every one of you is God's handiwork. I'm telling you that about yourself. I'm saying that to those of you who I know and those of you who are strangers. That's who you are. You can try to find another identity for yourself, but when you finally find who God made you to be and then start to say, God, what is the good work for which you have made me? Oh, well, then you'll be on the path of faith, trusting him and moving forward into his good work for which he made you. And then let me expand this out to all of us together. And this is what I am praying for for Renaissance Church. It's what I'm working toward with the staff at the church and the elders in this place. It's what I'm envisioning for all of you who've chosen on this Sunday morning to be here. That all of us together will say, God, what is the good purpose for which you've called this gathering into being? What is it? And together to listen, and then whatever it is that might make us afraid, just see that in its proper perspective, because God himself will be with us at every step, so that we, we, and now I'm talking about all of us together, will be the uniquely handcrafted handiwork of God himself for this place, in this time where he has put us all together. And I'll tell you, if you start to imagine the good that could come of that, I'm going to tell you, you cannot imagine anything better than what God will do if we choose to follow after him in faith. Now, I'm going to ask for God, I'm going to ask very simply in prayer now, for God to fire our imaginations. Uh, with that image of the bush in mind, I'm going to ask God to put that kind of, that kind of energy and light in us as we meet together here, so that this church will burn brightly for God in this place. So that when others see us, and this brings me back to the thing that I said when I came here at the first day, so that when they see us, they'll see the God who in Christ has rescued and loved them and given them a good purpose for life. So that you and I together become those who help invite others into a into the game of life in a way that's actually worth the one and only life that each one of us has been given. Would you join me in prayer? Let's do that. Let's pray together. And while I'm praying, the musicians are going to come and then lead us in a song where we can express this through our singing. Let's pray. God, for this time that we've been able to spend together in this place, we give you thanks. For the chance to look 
both at the words of Paul, which teach us about who we are and what the purpose of our lives are, and for the story of Moses, which instructs us on what it looks like when we step out in faith, we thank you. My prayer for each individual here and for this church altogether is that each one of us would grow as we pay attention to you, that through your word you would teach us what you've made us for, and then having heard the purpose that you are setting before us, each one of us individually and all of us together would step forward in faith. God, in that way I ask that you would make us burn bright for the sake of the world where you have put us, for the sake of the friends and neighbors who live around us, for this town in which we find ourselves, for the world which you love. And I pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.